<laughs> Hello, Emerging Writers. Welcome. We're so glad that you could join us today as we sip tea and discover our inner storytellers. My name is Stephanie, and I'm joined by my best friend Kayla and my sister Jordan. Hi. Hello. We'll be taking a bit of a break from our usual deep dives into writing today. During this tea break, we'll be discussing tone and how it's different from both voice and mood, as well as how it affects the story being told. As usual, I pass the torch off to Kayla, if you would please get us started. Yeah, so tone is an author's use of words and the writing style to convey the whole attitude and environment about the topic. Uh, it's how the author feels about the subject. It sets the mood for the whole story. There's tone and there's voice and there's mood. Tone is the attitude that the author takes to it, and this can vary from scene to scene. Voice is the author's writing personality, and this is unique to each author. And it's usually consistent throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least if it's well-written. Yeah. And oftentimes the voice will be similar from book to book or series to series with an author, even as they step into different genres or plots. Characters. It might change very slightly depending mm -hmm. on what they're trying to convey or like what sort of style they're trying to fit into. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's pretty, it's a pretty good like indicator. It stays the same. So if you find an author you like some books of, generally you like the, the voice that they have mm -hmm. and their other works do things or say things in a way that speaks to you and you enjoy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then mood is what the reader gets from the tone. So the voice is an overarching, whereas tone is scene to scene or book to book. And then the mood is what the reader takes from it. Mm -hmm. And it's super important to find the right tone to convey the right genre and the right story. Yeah, you don't want to be writing a happy story and then using language that makes it feel like you're building up to some big suspenseful murder or something. You don't want them to feel creeped out and uneasy if you're trying to write like a happy, giddy romance. Yeah, I feel like I've come across it a few times where people's tone doesn't match what they're doing. And it just, it leaves you left feeling like really disappointed, I guess. Mm. It just doesn't seem fulfilling when the thing that they, it sounds like they're building towards isn't actually what's happening in the story. Mm -hmm. Your tone will basically be making a promise to your reader of what they can expect. And if it's not fulfilling that then they feel like... Like you cheated them. Yeah, mm -hmm. like they were cheated. Yeah, because you've put in all this time and you're like, all right, I know what I'm going to get with this. And then, oh no, I didn't get that. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and you can have a tone and a voice to your writing that gives an overall feeling for the book and the genre and still have points that break it up where, yeah. you know, in a com in a comedy, normally there's some earnest points or some sad points and that's just having a good, like, ebb and flow to the emotional journey you take your reader on. But the majority of the tone should still fit the book and the story. Yeah, for the most part, you don't want it to maintain the exact same tone throughout because that mm -hmm. will feel very stilted after a while and get kind of boring. Yeah. You want some variation that fits the flow of the story. Yeah, I think the only places that you can see the same tone throughout and it be appropriate as like a children's picture book where it's not really about an emotional journey or ebb and flow as much if you're doing like a super wacky comedy then usually those mm. stay pretty wacky the whole time that's true but if you're going to maintain the exact same tone throughout it's probably going to be a short story or maybe a poem mm -hmm. something like that yeah 
I love poetry. Why didn't I think of that as an example as well? Yeah, with shorter pieces of writing and storytelling, you can have the same tone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely hard to maintain and probably shouldn't be maintained in a longer thing because it just it gets monotonous and it's not as engaging when nothing flows and changes. For the sake of, I guess, covering our bases, um, there are nine basic tones. So we have joyful, serious, sad, uh, humor, as we mentioned, uh, optimistic, pessimistic, you could do horror. And then there's formal writing and informal writing. Formal writing is going to be like your essay writing, writing papers for mm. uh, published journals, stuff like that. That's going to be your more academic sort of writing, mm -hmm. which we won't discuss quite as much throughout mm -hmm. the course of this podcast. We might spend some time talking about the differences in that just because it is part of writing. It's mm -hmm. a type of writing and it's an important skill to know. But for now, we won't be discussing it very much. Do we want to jump into some examples? Sure. And we'll talk a lot about tone, but this will also probably cover a little bit of point of view and narration as a whole. They're all kind of intermingled aspects of writing to discuss. Yeah, it's super easy to say that, like, in theory, something sounds happy in a mm -hmm. book, but it's hard to convey that without showing an excerpt. So we pulled together a few. We won't be covering all nine types, but we've pulled some from some of our favorite books. Mm -hmm. um, I can start. Oh, did you, you want to start? <laughs> I will start with an absolutely remarkable thing by Hank Green. And this is, I would say, maybe not why, but uh, probably targeted towards people in their 20s. Young, It's young adult. Young he writes adult. young adult stories. They're usually in their teens. You're thinking of John Green. Oh, this wait, is who did you say? Hank Green. Oh. His brother. I he wrote a book. Knows. I like that it was his actual brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know. Hank Green, his brother. Why don't you know his sibling who only last year published his first novel? <laughs> Silly. Sorry. I just mm. heard Green and didn't listen to the rest of what you were saying also. <laughs> An absolutely remarkable thing is a YA sci-fi book that's in a contemporary urban setting. I think it's New York. I haven't read it in a couple months. But it has a pretty humorous, uh, really informal way of tone and narration. And so I'll read the first little bit. Chapter one. Look, I am aware that you're here for an epic tale of intrigue and mystery and adventure and near death and actual death. But in order to get to that, unless you want to skip to chapter 13, I'm not your boss. <laughs> you're going to have to deal with the fact that I, April May, in addition to being one of the most important things that has ever happened to the human race, am also a woman in her 20s who has made mistakes. I am in the wonderful position of having you by the short hairs. I have the story. And so I get to tell you, and so I get to tell it to you the way I want. That means you get to understand me, not just my story. So don't be surprised if there's some drama. I'm about to admit to, I'm going to admit to come at this account honestly, but I'll also admit to signif significant pro-me bias. If you get anything out of this, ideally it won't be you being more or less on one side or the other, but simply understanding that I am, or at least was, human. Okay. <laughs> that ended with a bit of an unsettling note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was, was just the first <laughs> paragraph of the story. And so it's written in this interesting point of view of the, the fictional character 
authoring this book and telling her biography, even though clearly it's sci-fi and Hank Green wrote, wrote it. But it's really humorous, uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek writing, mm-hmm. and the tone conveys that you expect for it to be a pretty, like, goofy adventure. Yeah. Yeah. I get that from that. a bit of unsettling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like it. That was a good... Uh, I haven't read anything quite like that recently, so... Yeah, as I was looking for examples, I was like, I really don't like when the characters or narrator talk to the audience. And then I found about five examples of some of my favorite books that did that. Isn't it funny how we think we don't like things, but then look at what <laughs> we actually watch or read and we're like, oh... Okay, maybe this is just a guilty pleasure and I feel bad about it then. (laughs) I also think it's funny because I would never write in that style, but apparently I like it in abundance. (laughs) And so there's a difference between your taste as a reader and your taste as a writer. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned last week that maybe what you read isn't what you write with genres. And that that can be the case with all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, Similarly with the whole... Not necessarily tongue-in-cheek, but humor in the writing, Mm -hmm. not taking itself super seriously, is Alice in Wonderland. But it's written in a very different way. Mm. Um, I think the best example for the goofiness in it is the tea party. It's one of the more iconic scenes also. I'm sure everyone has at least seen one of the versions of Alice in Wonderland that have been made. But there's a lot of stuff that gets taken out and Mm. lost. So, let me just read a little bit. (laughs) Down south. A little bit right here. It's going to be a southern tea party. (laughs) Hell yeah. Okay. So, it's chapter seven, a mad tea party. There was a table set out underneath a tree in front of the house, and the March Hare and the Hatter were having tea at it. A dormouse was sitting between them, fast asleep and the other two were using it as a cushion, resting their elbows on it and talking over its head. Very uncomfortable for the dormouse, thought Alice, although, as it's asleep, I suppose it doesn't mind. The table was a large one, but the three were all crowded together at one corner of it. No room, no room, they cried out when they saw Alice coming. There's plenty of room, said Alice indignantly, and she sat down in a large armchair at one end of the table. Have some wine, said the March Hare in an encouraging tone. Alice looked all around the table, but there was nothing on it but tea. I don't see any wine, she remarked. There isn't any, said the March Hare. <laughs> I, um, I really enjoy that, ex- that excerpt because it has a lot of humor and nonsense and whimsy, but in this very dry author voice, it mm-hmm. feels very British. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it does. <laughs> that very distinct sort of dry humor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I love it also because of the whimsical fairy tale way that it's written and i really Mm -hmm. love that sort of writing as i've mentioned before i think Mm -hmm. it shows you between the two excerpts we just looked at the vast differences that can come even in both having a humorous tone so you have a humorous tone but then you have the author's voice and Mm -hmm. that changes it significantly and sets the mood yes i would expect totally different feelings to come from each of those stories just hearing a little snippet Mm-hmm. I guess also in the fairy tale realm, I've pulled up the very beginning for Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm. which is not a humorous story at all. It takes itself very seriously, but most fairy tales tend to in their own way. 
So yeah, because they're teaching a lesson, so they yeah, kind of, they're teaching mm-hmm. weird lessons, and and this one is don't judge a book by its cover, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Date yeah. the man in your dreams that keeps telling you to kill the beast that you're living with. The book is very strange. I hadn't actually read the original story until recently, and it's very strange. I don't think I've ever read the original story. I haven't either. Uh, you guys can borrow it if you want, but you have to actually read it if you do. How long is it? It's book length. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll read it sometime. But mine has really pretty pictures. Oh, I'll so definitely read it then. It has <laughs> pictures in it. Yes, I'm a child and I'm easily swayed by <laughs> pictures. Even Gaston will read it. <laughs> After he has his four dozen eggs. Yeah. Maybe that's... it's five, now that he's a man. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, so... Once upon a time, there was a very rich man who lived with his three daughters. The two older daughters laughed at anyone who did not dress as well as they did. If the two of them were not resting at home, they were out shopping for as many fine dresses and hats as they could carry home. The youngest daughter, Beauty, loved to read. Your nose is always in a book, her two older sisters said, and they laughed. No one will want you. Look at your hair. You look like a servant girl. Beauty did not know why they were so mean, but she said nothing. One day, the father got some bad news. He had spent all of his money on a ship that he sent out to sea for trade. Now he learned the ship was gone. Everything on it was lost. All at once, the rich father became as poor as poor could be. That is definitely different than the movie. (laughs) Yeah. It's significantly different. I enjoy a fairy tale style of writing because it feels so storybook. And then it's definitely someone telling you a story. The narrator is a distinct aspect of books like this. The narrator tends to be very distanced Mm -hmm. from any of the characters in a fairy tale and you don't get emotions from pretty much any of the characters you get like caricatured reactions from them for things but you don't get into their psyche Mm. yeah that's true i'm gonna read an excerpt from welcome to night vale by joseph fink and jeffrey craner chapter two starts with there's this house it's not unlike many other houses Imagine what a house looks like. It is also quite unlike many other houses. Imagine this house again. Given that it is simultaneously not unlike and like other houses, it is exactly like all houses. One way it is not unlike other houses is its shape. It has a house-like shape. That's definitely a house, people might say if shown a picture of it. One way it is unlike other houses is also its shape. It has a subtly unnatural shape. That's definitely a house, but there's something else. Something beautiful inside that house, people might say if shown a picture of it. I don't know if beautiful is the right word. It's more like, like, it's actually upsetting me now. Please stop showing me that picture. Please, those same people might beg a few moments later. It is a terrible, terrible beauty that I do not understand. Please stop. Welcome to Night Vale definitely has a distinct style of narration as well. But it's such an eeriness and surrealism to the way that they write They also do a podcast of the same name, if people aren't familiar. If you've heard the podcast, then probably hearing Jordan read as good as it was, wasn't the same. (laughs) There's something lost. They found, they had the perfect person to do the narration for it that gave it that, like, extra little Mm -hmm. boom towards unsettling. But a lot can be said about the way that they wrote. And they definitely did a good job at adding that slightly unnatural twist to yeah, it to kind make of you keeping just a you on your toes yeah mm-hmm. something's a little off 
Yeah, and I think they draw a fine line between horror and humor. Mm-hmm. And so their style of narration and their tone really suits that. Mm-hmm. I think part of it is the voice that they give towards it, mm-hmm. where they're talking about unsettling things, but with a flippant sort of writing. Mm-hmm. And it sets this off-kilter mood where you're like, huh, they're acting a little bit nonchalant about things that seem a little horror-y. Yeah. What is this? And it it only adds to the unsettling feeling mm-hmm. that the audience gets. They make the unordinary feel very mundane in the world they've crafted within the town of Nightvale. Mm-hmm. And so the audience is unsettled while all of the characters are reacting as if it's nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting thing to do, I think. I think that's a good usage of mood, voice, and tone in an interesting way that's not so expected. Mm-hmm. It was a great juxtaposition to aid their end goal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially if you look at more straightforward narration and voice, like the Beauty and the Beast excerpt we just looked at, those are night and day difference. Mm-hmm. different. <laughs> Even though they both have come at it from kind of a dry third-person narration. There's as I said, significantly less emotion put into the old fairy tales because that just wasn't in style then and it wasn't the purpose of the writing. Mm-hmm. So I have a couple more examples. And one of them is one of my favorite uh, urban fantasy books. The first book to it, I mentioned uh, Kim Harrison as an author in the last episode. And so her first book, book in the Hollow <laughs> series is Dead Witch Walking. Goodness, I can't talk today. (laughs) So chapter one starts like this. I stood in the shadows of a deserted shop front across from the Blood and the Brew pub, trying not to be obvious as I tugged my black leather pants back up where they belonged. This is pathetic, I thought, eyeing the rain-emptied street. I was way too good for this. Apprehending unlicensed and black art witches was my usual line of work as it takes a witch to catch a witch but the streets were quieter than usual this week. Everyone who could make it was at the West Coast for a yearly convention, leaving me with this gem of a run, a simple snag and drag. It was just the luck of the turn that had put me here in the dark and the rain. That kind of sets a dreary tone. Mm -hmm. It also definitely hints at the fact that this is a steamy series with some romance. (laughs) Yeah, it's right in the first few sentences. You're like, ah, Ah, yes. Ah, black leather pants. I understand. Tell me more. (laughs) Why are your pants off? I wonder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to use this as an example because it shows an amount of snarkiness and dreariness in the first person narration of the main character. And it also conveys definitely that it's urban fantasy and that there's some romantic aspects very early. Mm-hmm. With just subtle little clues. Yeah. I think they did a pretty good job of letting you know about this character. So you kind of have an instant picture like, okay, I know who this is. Just mm-hmm. with little words. In contrast to that, I want to sh- share a snip of the Clan of the Cave Bear, which is kind of a prehistoric story that goes over this character's life. And it ha- has a lot of details And a lot of world building to it. The seasons changed in reverse as the hunting party traveled south from winter to fall. Threatening clouds and the smell of snow hurried their departure. 
they had no desire to be caught by the first real blizzard of the peninsula's northern winter. The warmer weather at the southern end gave a false feeling of approaching spring with an unsettling twist. Rather than new shoots and budding wild flowers, tall grass swayed in golden waves upon the steps, and the bloom of the temperate trees at the protected tip was in shades of crimson and amber patchwork with evergreen, but the view from the distance was deceiving. Most deciduous trees had dropped their leaves and the onslaught of winter was close behind. That was also Jordan reading it because we discussed off recording that I was reading too many of them. (laughs) (laughs) It's just because it's my apartment. So it was my books that we had available. Because we didn't think about reading excerpts for for examples until we were already here. Mm. Not only does that set a really interesting tone. I don't know anything about the book, but at least with only that paragraph to go off of, it feels, at least in that section, like there's a lot of battling with uh, the, like, nature. Mm -hmm. That was a really good example for imagery as well, which we haven't talked about a whole lot and we will be getting Mm -hmm. to eventually. But it, I was able to really envision what was going on. Yeah, I think that series really excels at talking about how hard it is to survive and the like clash of fighting against nature as well as like using nature and being a part of it Mm -hmm. there's a lot of extra extra like interpersonal relationship things that happen within that series but i find the way that it describes nature and the way it draws that in as almost a main character be really interesting i think using nature and survival in the world is a good not exactly antagonist but like opposing force in a story that's not often used a lot i think it's a good one to explore well not a main antagonist really or brought up as an antagonist per se um in the green rider series i'm sorry dear listeners that i bring (laughs) it up so much but in my defense they also only talk about harry potter ever um, Sometimes I talk about Name of the Wind. <laughs> but the author for the Green Rider series, Kristen Britton, was or is a ranger. So she takes a lot of inspiration from nature and like her work when she wrote the series. She so, does do a lot of exploring the world and the trees and the animals. Yeah, there's there's a lot of emphasis on that when the character is out there doing their messenger stuff and traveling. But this is the very beginning of chapter one. So the granite was cold and rough against the gray cloaked man's palms. It was good, solid granite from the bones of the earth itself. He traced barely perceptible seams between the huge blocks of the wall. It was the seams he believed that held the key, the key to the wall's destruction. The wall towered above him to some unknown height. It was many feet thick and it followed Sakaridia's southern border for hundreds of miles, from the East Sea to Ulam Bay in the west. It protected Sakaridia and the rest of the lands from Kanmorhen Vane, known in the common tongue, known in the common tongue as Blackvale Forest. That definitely gives an immediate tone and feel to the to the book, that it's going to be a lot of nature and a lot of those descriptors, but also very heavy in the fantasy world. Oh, yeah. Very <laughs> heavy in fantasy. And it sets up the stage for something really big is going to happen and you don't really know what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The beginning of the book was definitely memorable to me. I've read the whole thing, but I do really enjoy the beginning. It's a really good opener and a good glimpse into what the book is going to be about. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think we're going to switch it to briefly talking about a novella and a couple poems. And so I'll just start reading the passages without context and get your impressions from there. This is from Patrick Rothfuss's The Slow Regard of Silent Things. The second day, Ari woke to silence in the perfect dark. That meant a turning day, a doing day, good. There was much to do before he came. She wasn't nearly ready. She roused Foxen and folded up her blanket, careful to keep the corners off the floor. She glanced around the room. Her box and leaf and lavender were fine. Her bed was fine. Everything was just as it should be. Mm. I like the tone it sets there. Mm. It makes me intrigued to figure out what's going to happen next. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. She also is a character that has, I think, some oddities. I think if it was in a contemporary setting, she would deal with some mental illnesses, and that would be discussed in a way. And so having this novella in her perspective gives, uh, there's a little bit of the way that she thinks throughout the story that make me really relate to that. Checking her lavender and her bed and everything was fine everything was in the right place i think is a really interesting way to open the door for a little bit more of that down the road Mm -hmm. okay so now on to poetry this is from rupee quar's milk and honey my favorite thing about you is your smell you smell like earth herbs gardens a little more human than the rest of us Ooh, is that a romance one Uh, There's a lot of romance and love in the themes of all of these poems, but they're all short form poems that kind of tell an overarching story. That's really interesting. I like the tone of it a lot. I think she's an author that really excels about conveying a strong tone with such a short poem and like a small amount of words. Mm -hmm. That is, there's something to be said for that. Okay. And then this poem is from Desiree Dalla Giacomo and I'm going to give you a piece of it, uh, a piece of my first altar. My first altar was my father's hands. No, my first altar was my mother's body, a secret hideout in a woman's skin. My first altar was my sister's fingers, folding tresses of hair until they were braids down my neck. My first altar was a place with no name, but a slow pulse I followed into brightness. My first altar was was a soft forgiveness. My first altar was a story I made for myself, where I call myself girl girl from many. I call myself daughter of the hunt, here only because a woman before me me survived. A woman was never unmade, and so she grew me. I feel like a lot of times poems, because of the language that is so often chosen, feel like there's an undertone of sad in there. Mm. But, and I felt this in... I felt it in this one as well, but then there was also just like resolution Mm -hmm. of becoming the person that they were. I think poetry really pushes heavy on emotions. I think it's a format that suits emotional work and a lot of like introspection. I think Desiree Dalla Giacomo really uh, thrives in talking about a sadness or an anger and then the resiliency of surviving that or the resolution of becoming something from that. And so I think it's interesting that you picked up on that from part of one of her poems. 
Well, I think we'll pass the question off to you guys now. Is there anything with tone that you feel like we missed? What are some examples that you have of tone that really resonate with you? Join us on our Facebook group, Riders Emerging, or follow us on Tumblr, Instagram, and Twitter. Links in the description. We look forward to seeing you next week.